Hey, it's Vadim from DIY Recording Guys. I want to remind you to check out my free DIY recording ebook. Just go to howtorecordyourband.com. It features over 70 pages of information that'll get you well on your way to recording yourself or your band. Today's episode features a guest. We have John Burke from Perfect Vocals Academy. John is a producer and mix engineer who's worked out of Nashville and is currently based out of Cleveland. And he started Perfect Vocals Academy as a resource to help people produce and mix vocals. And it's a really wonderful resource. I've been enjoying a lot of his content. As you'll hear from this interview, John is somebody who, first of all, has a lot of information, a lot of knowledge on the topic, and second of all, shares it very freely. He's making content that has a pretty high value density where even for short bits of content, he's giving away really great information. So I encourage you to check it out. We get into a lot of really interesting topics. We talk about gear selection and John has a very kind of quick workflow oriented approach to, um, to choosing gear. We talk about riding preamp level as a technique for uh, dealing with dynamic vocals. We talk about why recording at a low signal level might actually be worse than some light clipping. We talk about mental preparation for recording vocals, uh, the importance of knowing and understanding your gear, John's strategies for comping different vocal takes and for capturing the right emotion from a vocalist. And finally, John has some really interesting takes on how to do vocal harmonies. During the interview, you'll hear me say Perfect Vocal Academy a couple of times. That is not correct. It's actually Perfect Vocals Academy. The vocals are plural. John wants you to get all your vocals to be perfect, not just the one. Enjoy. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right. John Burke, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Yeah, good to be here, man. How you doing? How you doing with all this, uh, all the quarantine stuff? Well, at first I was freaking out because I'm like, oh man, nobody's going to have money for, for paying me to mix or anything. But, you know, luckily I work with a lot of clients that got into the home recording thing, you know, over the past couple of years. So if anything, they just got more time on their hands and they're, you know, they got their equipment. So they sit there and record stuff and, hey, I got a track. Hey, I got a track. So, I mean, I've been getting a lot of, a lot of my people are coming through. So it's, it's working out for me, thankfully. No excuses now. <laughs> No excuse yeah. <laughs> not to be recording. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to know a little bit about your recording journey, kind of how did you get into recording and when did you decide you wanted to t- start taking it seriously? Well, I mean, it goes way back. I was in uh, a metal band called Forever in Terror when I was, I think I was 15 and a half when I, when I started that, you know, in that band. <laughs> it's a great and name, we by actually, the way. yeah. <laughs> We actually got a uh, record deal a year later. It was pretty wild. Uh, We were under this manager who had like this uh, booking agency in Cleveland. And uh, so he had some connects and stuff. So he he ended up shopping us out and we had a bunch of label interest and we ended up signing with Metal Blade. And uh, I honestly was only, you know, I put out one record through Metal Blade when I was with the band. Because at the time, you know, got my girlfriend pregnant at the time. So I just like pretty much left the band two years later when I was about 
18 and a half, I, I think. And uh, then I moved out to Los Angeles to go to Musicians Institute to learn recording. So it was kind of my backup plan, you know, like, okay, you know, I'm not going to go tour and do this now. I'm about to be a dad. And uh, so I went out there and uh, it was only a six month program. So that's kind of what drew me to it. Cause I'm like, okay, I don't got much time. I got to learn this trade. I got to get in the studio. I got to get this going. So it was actually very helpful. You know, it was like a full-time school, uh, I did night classes, so it was like five p.m. to midnight, five five days a week. And so you were you know, working, I, and then going to and then going to class. I actually didn't because uh, since it was only six months, I just I just lived off okay, of student gotcha. loans or whatever because I didn't want any distractions. I just wanted to be all in with it. So so wait, so with the band with Forever and Terror, what what did you play in the band? Oh, I played guitar, lead guitar, and I did some like. Uh, some vocals in uh, in the choruses and stuff. We were a metalcore band, so it was like the gotcha. screaming screaming in the verses, and then the chorus comes, and the pretty singing comes. So, that's gotcha, gotcha. Basically, and what so we were. So, with with the record you guys did, was did, did did your did that kind of spark your interest in recording, or did were you interested in it even before then? I was sort of interest, interested in it, but uh, I mean, I go way back. I used to do, use a little four track, like a cassette four track thing and record all my riffs on it and stuff. So, I mean, I wasn't super interested like, oh yeah, I just love recording, but I did like the idea of, you know, being able to create, you know, just at my fingertips, not have to rely on somebody else. And our first album that we did, the one for Metal Blade, I didn't feel the greatest about the producer that did it. I mean, the... We were happy with like our performances, but the, just the sonic quality of everything—guitar tones, drum tones, that type. How'd of stuff. How did you guys cut I, that? Did you did you cut it in a in a commercial studio? The whole thing. Yeah, it was a smaller commercial studio, but it was nothing crazy. Uh, but but yeah, I just didn't like you know how the drums came out. I mean, just the samples that he used with Drumagog were just like didn't sound good and stuff. So there was definitely kind of that spark, like, hey, I I like this, you know. I think I could possibly do this better type thing. So, you know, it was definitely had some fire underneath me with that. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, I got to say, like, I think for your, it's cool to me that your backup plan was to be a recording engineer. Like that's, that's like a lot of people's <laughs> dream jobs. That's like my dream job. <laughs> that was your backup plan. So, so well, it is now. I mean, now I'm like, man, I'm glad it worked out that way because I just, uh, you know, I couldn't see I couldn't see me still being on the road and all that stuff. So Yeah, that's a grind for sure. Okay, so you got the yeah. um you got the certi- certi- was it a certification, like a recording yeah. certification? Yeah, or, just yeah. a certificate. Yep. Cool. And then and then what'd you do next? So that same guy that managed my band, he was opening a recording studio in Cleveland and he had a record label. Have you ever heard of Standby Records? No. No. Um yeah, he, he had a label that like worked with a bunch of like, you know, metalcore and emo and screamo and all these different genres. And uh, so when I uh, I was still kind of cool with him when I left the band and uh, when I was out in college, I was kind of keeping in touch with him. And he's like, hey, you should come like intern under my guy that's here, you know, when you get back. And so I did that. And uh, funny thing is, is it was about two months after interning. <laughs> They had a falling out, the, the the main guy and the guy that brought me in. So he's just like, uh, yeah, can you just take over? 
<laughs> so I end up having oh, to take no way. over. Okay. Yeah, and there was a project in like a month for Victory Records. It was a it's a band called Driver Side Impact. It was a new signing that Neil, the guy that brought me on, got them that deal. So uh so I had to take on a, a producing a, a full length album for Victory like right away. So I mean oh I was God. I was just I was just thrown in. So you know, luckily I was uh, pretty prepared because the school, you know, out in L.A., the Musicians Institute, they were a pretty good school. And I would say I really dove in when I was there. You know, I'd I'd come home and I'd still be in my notes and just researching and recording on my Pro Tools setup. So, you know, had I not dove in like that, I probably would have been more overwhelmed, but I was able to handle it. So it was fun. That's awesome. Wow. Talk about, yeah, trial by fire. But I know that yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's really no better way to learn than to just be thrown into a project like that. It's just, yep. I, I get nervous just thinking about doing that, but uh, that's, oh, that yeah. must have been a, a great learning experience. <laughs> yeah, it was. Cool. So then um, I guess at what point, you, the way I, I found you was through Perfect Vocal Academy. I think I ran across some of your content on Instagram. You're making really great content that's focused on vocal production techniques, both uh, recording and mixing. What sparked your idea for Perfect Vocal Academy? Well, I started, I would say, when I moved to Nashville, I was kind of like, because I closed my studio in Cleveland and moved to Nashville because, you know, my wife, you know, I got married and, you know, we just we just had this bright idea. You know, you get married, you want to just, oh, let's just go move to Nashville. I just thought it would be cool. <laughs> So, yep, yep. so we do that. And then, you know, I closed my studio and left all my clientele here in Ohio. So it was a huge risk. And, uh, when I got down there, I'm like, okay, there's no studio jobs. Like nobody's calling me back. I hit up like a million studios just trying to get a job and nobody just an was hitting en back. engineering job at a studio. That's what you were looking yeah, for. Yeah. I was just trying to, yeah, I was just trying to find something that could just pay the bills, you know, with all my experience and stuff. And, I honestly only heard back from like two studios. One studio wanted like 700 a day <laughs> for me to pay and then bring my own clients. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. And then uh, this other studio was one that I ended up getting part-time work from. It's called The Record Shop. So I got some part-time work there, but I still I couldn't live off that. So I had to dive into making my business a remote mixing and mastering business. That There was no other way. So I, I dove in with that and... Uh, I started listening to Six Figure Home Studio podcast and uh, those guys really inspired me that like I can do this. I can I can like turn this business into just a remote mixing thing. All my clients always tell me like, man, they just love how I do vocals or like, you know, they don't go to this guy because they like how I do the vocals. And there's certain people that, you know, even if they don't do the production with me or record instruments with me, like they're just like, no, I got to come to you for the vocals though. So I got like... I'm very like well niched with that. Um, I'm kind mm. of a vocal guy, so I felt like with my mixing and mastering business, I wasn't giving too much. I mean, you're just providing a service. It's like, okay, you pay me money, I mix this. But with Perfect Vocals, it's like, yes, I'm gonna charge for products and stuff like that, but I'm giving so much in the front end. Just you know, blogs and videos, and I mean, you could learn a crap ton just just from following my content and you know, products can come later, you know, I mean, if, you know, for the people that are really serious about it, but I like that it's in the hands of the people, you know, it's like, Hey, if you want to pay money, you know, for, for my more 
in-depth stuff, cool. If if not, if you want to just stick with the free stuff, glad to help. You know, that's kind of like where I'm at. And it feels good to to just give something away when I'm, you know, instead of just always, you know, receiving for what I do. It's just like, you know, even just hearing that somebody is doing a better job at vocal production just for my free content is is cool with me, so... Yeah, that's great, and and I can tell you firsthand that that the content is 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 definitely good. I've been going through. I mean, obviously, I follow you regularly on Instagram, but I've been reading through some of your blog posts as well, and they're really kind of clean and concise to the point. You're just giving out just like valuable tips. You talk about free plugins that you like. I saw that one was really cool. I actually took some some notes off of that. I got some downloading to do this afternoon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's great content. Um so let's let's dive into some um some vocal recording stuff. So I guess let's start with just gear selection. I saw um I saw a blog post you recently did that uh, talking about recording with as much isolation as possible and you recommended using a dynamic microphone for many DIY situations. I just wanted to to get you to explain that a little bit and expand on it. Yeah. So, you know, I record my wife a lot at home. She's a, she's an R&B artist and, you know, it's really kind of, it depends on the singer. Cause like for her, for her, she's got kind of like this soft voice, right? So for some reason, her voice, it's a lot more of a struggle to get it to work through a dynamic mic. She don't, she doesn't drive it. You know what I mean? She doesn't drive it too well. But when I bring out the TLM 103, her voice just picks up way better. So, but a lot of times for most people, a dynamic mic, I feel is going to be better because you're not going to have that. Most people aren't going to have a treated room. They're not going to have uh, an isolated vocal booth. So if they, you know, are belting into a SM, SM7, then, you know, you're most likely not going to get much, much of that, like, you know, sound of the room. So that's why I prefer, you know, for most, for most singers an SM7 is going to be, going to be it. But then you got your really soft singers that, I mean, we know how much gain these, these mics take. So if you're a super soft singer and you're driving the mic super hard, I mean, you're going to get a bunch of hiss and it just doesn't work that well. So, Mm. um, but I do think that if, if you're a singer and you sing medium to loud, you know, uh, SM7 is perfect, you know, for, for home, for home stuff. Um, but I mean, it can work with, with, the uh, condensers, but you know, like I said, it's, you're going to be picking up a lot of stuff. If you sing over a certain DB, I mean that the room's just going to, you're going to just going to create a bunch of room. I get stuff all the time. Like people send me stuff to mix and you could tell they're using a, a condenser and every time they kind of go to a loud part of the song, I'm dealing with all this crazy like room sound and then I have to bust out. A, I got a plugin called SPL Dverb and I like try it, which I mean, it does its, it, it does its thing, I guess, but you know, I only bust it out cause I have to, you know? Yeah. It's still a destructive process and exactly. And you're gonna I, be, yeah. You're going to be taking something away. Right. Yeah. I know what you mean. That, that kind of, you can excite almost like excite the room with um either certain frequencies or just like you said getting louder and yeah that there's nothing for some genres it almost works but for most genres there's nothing that kind of says amateur production like a lot of room like boxy room noise right right uh in your experience um i guess moving on from from mics to to preamps how much difference does a preamp make like are you 
shooting out different preamps? Do you just pretty much have a go-to? What do you recommend people use? Well, first, I think definitely the mic makes a bigger difference, but I do notice a big difference in preamps, especially after working at the the studio in Nashville, uh, the record shop. Uh, there's certain ones that are more dark and certain that are way more bright. So I would say like an API preamp is like real bright. And then uh, I actually like the darker stuff because I struggle with uh, a lot of people give way too much S's and T's and sibilance and stuff. I talk about it in my content all the time. Like when you listen to professional recordings, the, the sibilance is always very controlled. And, you know, when you're using a really bright preamp, sometimes it can be way worse and hard, harder to tame. So uh, there's one preamp I really like that I was using at that studio, and it's a Avedis M M5. I think that's it. I think it's the M5. I believe that's the model of it. But it was a very dark preamp and uh, just very like full, but like the sibilance came across kind of smooth. Um, I like that, and I my also. Uh, Another preamp I like is the uh, Pacifica uh, A designs. Yeah, that's what it is. Sorry, my mind went blank. Um, both of those are, are very, very nice for vocals in, in my experience. Just very smooth in the top end and not too, uh, not too bright. I try okay. to go for stuff that's not too bright. Um, I don't even use my. I mean, going back to mics. I don't use my Neumann TLM 103 that much because it's just so aggressive in the in the uh, high mids. Mm. Uh, it work like I said, it works good for my wife's voice because like you know she's a soft singer. But if you're belting it all, like if you're really belting it all, it's like I have to turn that thing. If I'm if I'm working with a singer that's gonna belt out some notes like a really powerful singer, I I turn it. I turn the mic about you know 45 degrees or so, so it's not facing the capsule. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I love that technique. So, in other words, the the singer is still right in front of the mic, but you've rotated mm-hmm. it so that their voice is kind of coming in at an angle onto the yep. the the, the, uh, the diaphragm there. Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's say I know you do a lot of uh, mostly mixing work now, but if you were doing a vocal session, how do you choose? Let's say you got the SM7B, you got the Neumann, you got a couple of different preamps. How do you do you, do you set up a quick shootout or do you kind of try to get a feel for the vocalist sound in advance and just kind of be ready to go with your with your go-tos? You know, the studio I was at, uh, the owner was all about mic shootouts. And uh, I, I feel like if you kind of know what the mics do, then it's not 100% necessary, you know? Like, for example, like if a hip-hop guy came in, I would just kind of talk to him before and be like, hey, you know, how do you see your voice? Do you see it being kind of thick and boomy or do you do you see it kind of like uh, real like cut through and present and shiny? And like basically just that conversation is is being like, hey, do I do I take the tube, the Neumann tube M149? That's what he had is uh, one of those $5,000 tube mics. It was really big and thick. And then a Neumann U87, because that's, you know, you can't really, you know, go wrong with that. So when he'd say, oh, yeah, I want it kind of shiny and thin and blah, 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 I'd go right for the U87. It's like, oh, I want it really, if you'd say, I want it really big and, and thick, I'd go for the other mic. So I kind of know what the mics sound like. You know, you can shoot out, but, you know, a lot of times people were, especially there, I mean, people were paying 75 an hour to record. It's just like, I, I feel a little bit bad 
you know, setting up different mics and taking that time when like I already kind of know. And almost every time we sh- I shot out mics, I already kind of knew in the back of my head which which one it was going to be normally just because yeah, yeah. I know the sound of the mic. So I think that's huge. Yeah. And especially even I mean, the money thing is, is definitely important. People are paying by the hour. But even if not, you're just kind of I think just in the interest of keeping the creative flow going understanding your tools and having fewer tools but high quality tools is probably a good way to go and then understanding their characteristics like i think shootouts are a great thing to do kind of on your own time to for you to understand your own equipment so that makes sense to me and it sounds like you basically had yeah like a a big thick mid-rangey mic and then a shimmery top end mic and yep based on that you could kind of tell what you were which way you were going to go right talk a little bit about setting uh preamp levels because I, I saw another um another interesting blog post you had where you talk about sometimes a level that's too low is actually almost worse than a level that's too hot so talk me through it that is bit. yeah it definitely is because if you set a super low uh level the signal to noise ratio is going to be way off so when you go to like compress it and all that you're really just bringing up a ton of noise you know uh so I definitely encourage to get a pretty hot level. I mean, at least halfway up that meter. I mean, 50% up the meter is like probably a bare minimum, in my opinion. Uh, but if the singer is consistent, there's no reason you can't uh, set it for like 75% the way up the meter. So, you know, peaking out at like minus nine, minus seven, something like that is usually a good a good way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that signal to noise ratio is huge. I mean, like, I, I get way cleaner recordings if if the level is is just hotter. You know, I honestly would even, you know, if somebody's recording at home and they set it a little hot and say like the vocal clipped like once or twice, I'd take that over like a low level the whole time where there's hiss. Mm. So it's just like you know, I can sometimes even use. I got a Isotope D D clipper. Uh, I can sometimes it it's hit or miss, but I can sometimes uh, fix a, a clip. You know, if it's not super bad. Yeah, that's an amazing tool. Actually, I have yeah. that as well, and I've <laughs> I've seen I've gotten some tracks that were clipped so badly, and and you can do some pretty you can salvage them pretty uh pretty amazingly with that. Right. Um, yeah. So so the um. Especially, I guess that would be important with with genres where the vocal gets heavily compressed. So any like screaming vocals, definitely, yeah, pop vocals, hip hop vocals. So what you're saying is there, you have some dynamic range. We talked about uh, I forget which episode it was. We, uh, I think the bitrate episode we talked about noise floor, and when you heavily compress that vocal, basically the noise floor gets louder. It comes up with the quietest parts of the vocal, so you get some uh, some unwanted noise. And I also saw you mentioned a really good point there where. You know, there are similar to declipping tools. There's also de-hum and de-noise tools, but they tend to take again, away, take yeah. something away from the vocal and the, the the body or the top end of the vocal. So yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. Um, what else did I want? Oh yeah, about levels. I wanted to ask you about. Let's say you have a song where there's different parts with kind of different dynamics, maybe like a soft verse part but then a louder chorus part how do you manage your preamp levels throughout recording a song like that uh normally have the singer do just the choruses first and then just the verses so i don't have to go back and forth 
Um, if for some reason the singer's like, hey, I like to go all the way through the song, then I'll just ride the preamp, you know, because I, I do cater towards the singer. I'm not one of those, you know, Nazi, no, you have to do it this way. If some people, you know, once in a while you'll get people and it's like, hey, I, I, I vibe way better going all the way through the song. And if that's the case, then then I'll just ride the preamp, you know, I'll just kind of set the level for the verse, set the level for the chorus, and then I'll know kind of where they have to be. So when it comes there, I'll just kind of sit there and ride the preamp. Riding so means you're while they're singing it, you're making adjustments based. You know what parts coming up and yep. so on. Mm-hmm. Cool, yep. interesting. Yeah, I've never tried that, but that's uh, that's an interesting technique. Okay, let's talk a little bit about. Um, I want to ask you about this. I like this term a lot. Again, I read this in one of your blogs. What is what does it mean to be spiritually prepared for <laughs> recording? A- Honestly, man, like I have worked with some people uh, before that you could just tell they were just having a bad day. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've heard them sing before and you know it's just not the same. And uh, I don't think people realize how mental singing really is. It's It's really like you have to feel good. You know, you have to feel good about it. That's why... Certain vocal teachers will be like, you know, go for a go for a jog, have a routine in the morning before you hit the studio, like, you mm. know, just be feeling good, you know, eat eat good foods, so, you know, food can make, you know, alter your mind and stuff if you're eating a bunch of crap and, you know, it's just kind of taking care of your body and your mind and, you know, it'll just enhance everything, really. I mean, you know, people can fight through it and... If they're having a bad day still, you know, some sometimes certain genres and stuff that works because, you know, they're having a bad day and then they they put it into the the song and you hear that raw emotion and like that works. But other times it doesn't. So it just I guess it just kind of depends. I would say no matter what you want to feel good uh, mentally before you go recording something. Yeah, if you're in a metalcore band, maybe maybe having a bad day is actually preferred. But <laughs> yeah, it's probably good. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you can tell, like even on um, you know on on professional top forty recordings, you can kind of tell when a vocalist was having fun. You know, like during a take or something like that. That kind of emotion, we kind of have. I feel like a sixth sense to it, where you know we can we can sense it and we like that it's genuine and it's. You know, you can almost tell they were smiling or they were bouncy. It really comes through in, in vocals probably more so than, than any other instrument. Right. Definitely. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something I even kind of tell people, you know, when we're doing takes and stuff, you know, I'll just be like, you know, kind of smile on this take or, mm. you know, think of something, think of something that makes you happy during this take. Or if it's a sad line, you'll think of, think of you know, why'd you write that lyric? You know, what where does that take you? And you know, it's just kind of putting, connecting the emotion with, with the performance can be, can be huge. It's kind of like, man, I was watching, uh, what was that? The Grammys or something. And then, uh, what's her name? Demi Lovato sang that like emotional song and she was like bawling at the same time. And like (laughs) people just loved the performance. Like it just gave everybody chills and they're just like, wow, that's real. And it's just like, that's the type of thing that like you want to capture in the studio, you know? Um, Absolutely. If you can take what you do live and and bring it into the studio and have that same like connection, then it's gonna make good songs, you know, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. So let's let's maybe talk about um, producing then and how you work with vocalists to get the most out of the takes. You know what you do to prepare yourself and understand the song, and then how you you kind of started getting into it a little bit. How you coach them 
through different sections and and what uh what advice you you do you give to guide them yeah so when we uh do multiple takes because i'm i'm gonna comp it most of the time i'm gonna usually do six to eight takes and i'll basically want the singer to sing the same each time but but just with different emotions you know i mean what I don't want the singer to do is, you know, try out, you know, different melodies and different things like that, because then you go to comp it and then it's, it's a mess. So, I mean, you definitely mm. want to be at the stage to where it's like, okay, the melodies, you know, in place, the timing and the flow is in place. Now it's like, okay, how can you perform it? Like, how can you do that, that melody with that timing? You know, can you add a little rasp on your voice? Can you sing like you just woke up in the morning? Can you can you sing super clean, uh, clean and like bright sounding? Like I'll just try to get inside their head because I mean, like I said, it is a mental thing with vocals. So if you're telling a singer like, Hey, uh, why don't you try smiling when you sing this line? Or why don't you try, you know, kind of, you know, making a facial expression and just stupid little things that you don't think would work. And it actually does. It just does something to where it it makes them dig. You know, you want to make a a singer dig, uh, deeper, Mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I like what you, I, I don't remember if you said it in the video, but I think you were saying you do maybe four to six takes with each cadence, let's say, or with each coaching note, because that then gives you the options to, to comp those takes together, right? Yeah. Well, I do about, I don't go too crazy. I do probably about eight total. So maybe, maybe two to four of them are like just the normal, how they sing it. And then maybe the other like four or five or whatever will just be like certain certain things that I request. Or sometimes I'll be requesting the whole time. It just kind of depends. But um, I like to give myself about six to eight playlists of, of stuff to work with because, you know, you can go super or- overboard and do, you know, 20 takes. But um, I have noticed that the first... The first eight to ten are like usually the best, and then and then the singer just starts getting confused and just not knowing where to go with it, and then they they feel like okay, like how many times am I am I gonna sing this? And um, so it can be a little bit redundant uh, to go too crazy with it. But I mean, I have heard of big producers and stuff doing just tons and tons and tons. So I mean, yeah, if you got the time and you got the budget and you got that or whatever, you can you know do whatever you want. But normally I'm. I'm all about workflow. I'm all about like giving myself certain time times to do things and and just staying creative, staying productive. So I find that six to eight, I can usually comp a whole vocal in like 35, 40 minutes, like mm. uh, with like six to eight vocals. So I, I'm pretty quick at it and um, and it's been effective. It's just effective every time. So you know, so I cool. like to stick stick with that range. Explain what comping is for people who may not know. Okay, so comping is, you know, short for compiling, just compiling different takes. So, you know, with Pro Tools, they have the playlists. So you can just create a new playlist every take that you do. And then at the end, you just, there's a feature, you just click on playlists um, on on that track, and then it'll show all the different takes you did. And there's a cool feature to be able to, like, just quickly go through each one and then when you find one you like you literally click the up arrow and then it goes on to the 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 comped track so it goes to the the final track i should say just the uh the final take track gotcha so So you're 
so you're basically you've recorded multiple takes and then you are making a your main take out of those multiple takes by taking kind of the best bits and pieces of it. How crazy do you get? I, I've heard of like I remember I was watching I think Jordan Sapp talking about this and he was saying how he comps like to the syllable where he'll take the best syllable from multiple takes and he's really putting together stitching together the best possible main take. How crazy do you go with it? Uh, it's a mixture, believe it or not. It's like sometimes, yeah, I'll just do like one syllable, uh, but other times it'll be a whole phrase. It's just, it really depends, you know, because sometimes the one syllable thing, if you do that too much, then all of a sudden everything's super choppy and it just sounds, right. you know, whack. But uh, but sometimes it makes sense. It's it's kind of a, a you know, case by case type thing or, or line by line uh, sometimes there, there's a, a certain way that the singer did the take to where you take another piece from another take and it just throws off the flow. So, yeah. um, so normally I go pretty small though. It's like maybe a few words I'll do maybe like a half a bar sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, like one line is I'll start with one line. And then if, if I'm liking the one line, I just go with it. If I go through all the takes and I'm like, man, it's still... There's still some stuff. I'll just really zone in on those things then. You know, that's where it gets down to a syllable. I wouldn't go taking syllables first, I guess is what I'm saying. I would go with like a line first. And then if you really need to dig deeper, then dig deeper. Gotcha. And that's actually where I wanted to go next was how do you make sure through the session that you're getting what you need, both in terms of like all of the parts are there and also the quality is where it needs to be that you feel confident you can comp together a good take well the that's a good question and i think mainly it's because i don't i don't allow that take to be kept out of the the five or six or seven or however many we do we're still redoing until we get one so i guess what i'm saying is i'm not just gonna like keep the first seven you do and like that's it okay moving on it's like uh I'll make mm. sure I like that that take before we move on to another take. So essentially, you're you're gathering six to eight takes that you kind of like. Gotcha. See what I'm saying? And you're comping yeah. together from the six to eight best ones that that you can. Yeah, okay. yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And and you mentioned you mentioned you like to attack choruses first. Why why is that? Um, normal well, sometimes because singers. Uh, you know, they're when you got to capture them when their vocals are kind of more fresh. Some. Unfortunately, some singers still are, are struggling with some t technique stuff. I mean, very rarely do you come across a singer that like just has it down as far as technique goes. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of times choruses are going to be sang higher, more belted, and I just don't like procrastinating with that. I'd rather grab the chorus when their vocal is just super fresh. They mm -hmm. they've just done their warm warm ups. They've just done their you know jog. They're all mentally there. Choruses normally are the hardest part as far as technique goes it might not be the hardest as far as like flow and stuff like that sometimes verses can be a little more tricky with that but as far as like what's going on with your vocal cords and all that technique um you know it's a muscle you know so it's like you know might as well get the hard part the heavy lifting done um up front is normally how I go about it. But I do still put it in the singer's hands. If they're like, oh, no, I, I got to warm up with this verse for, first, then I go for it. I mean, it's, okay, do the verse first. That's fine. But uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll try to get the chorus first, you know, just grab that first. And then it's a, it's a copy-paste, too. I mean, you got to think from a workflow standpoint, 
it's like, okay, we got the chorus, copy paste, or you know, edit it and then copy paste. Now the singer's feeling really good. Like, man, we got yeah, you know, 50% most of the, the song, song done, done, you know? Right? Yeah. So yeah. it just kind of it takes the singer to a nice place. They're like, okay, cool. I, now let's just get these verses. And then they're, they just zone in on those verses and they're not overwhelmed. They're not looking at their watch. It's just kind of like, okay, cool. We got a lot done. So that's it's kind of why I go for the chorus. It's just getting a lot done soon. So I like that a lot, actually. You know, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that component of it, um, but that that kind of the confidence of knowing you've you've done a large part of the work, as opposed to like, oh my god, it took us an hour and a half to get this verse, and we still have to do choruses. It, that's that's an intimidating prospect. Not to mention that I uh, I don't usually comp choruses either, so that's why it's good because. I'll, we'll do like, you know, the chorus, double it, maybe triple it, maybe quadruple it, do some harmonies. So once we get that, you know, it's good for that singer to have that confidence that they got a lot done because the verses are where I'm going to sit there and, and, and pound them to get, you know, six to eight really good takes. So it's kind of mm. more work. It's more work anyway in the verses. So uh, it's better to at least let them feel like, they're getting stuff done or a lot's done first, you know, with the courses. Gotcha. What's your philosophy on recording with compression versus adding compression in the mix? You mean uh, printing the compression, like recording, committing to it? Yeah, or even just recording through an analog compressor downstream or your preamp or whatever. Just in general, what's your what's your philosophy there? Do you prefer just a naked vocal track, mic into preamp, get it down, and then do all the processing yeah I, later. I honestly i always did it not recording compression and then when i started uh working part-time at that nashville studio um i started doing a little bit of compression during during the recording um mm. but nothing nothing crazy i mean you know maybe maybe 2 db a gain reduction or 3 db but um I would say, unless you're experienced, yeah, just don't don't record compression. I mean, it's <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, I, I like I said, I, I I've done this for like ten years before I did it for the first time, you know. <laughs> so it was right. like, <laughs> you know, save all the trial and error for for the plugins, so that way it's it's post, you know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But but it was fun. It was fun recording compression a little bit. It, it kind of makes it to where. You know, especially with like rappers and stuff, singers and it can, I don't know, singers have such a big dynamic range to where it's like, it, until you got like all your chain of plugins, it's still not going to really sound right. But rappers mm. are, are different though. A lot of times rappers, I get some like really like consistent rappers and man, their voice just sounds good with just like the little bit of recorded compression. And like, it's like, man, I don't have to do that much uh, when it comes down to the you know, stuff, just some EQing, some multiband compression, but, um, that can be nice. It could be a good vibe for the rapper to like be just super clear and a little bit of compression can go a long way with that. But for singers, that's, I can go without, uh, doing compression on singers during the recording, you know, but gotcha. I, I can, I can usually have it on a plugin while they're singing though. And you know, that way at least they're, uh, feeling good about it, you know? So, but just yeah. not recording the compression. So, yeah. So in that chain, so you're not recording it. What What are you giving other than compression to the vocalist in their headphones to kind of boost their their confidence and what they're hearing? Compression, EQ, and reverb. Because you know, 
EQ is a big one because a lot of times it's just a bunch of low end in vocal, especially with fancy mics. I noticed when I was in uh, Nashville, I was using some of those tube mics he had, and tube mics are just so fat and thick, and it can be good for some singers, but a lot of singers, it's not. You just have to bust out an EQ and be like, man, let's cut out some of these low mids. Let's roll off some of this this low-end junk, you know? So um, so I think that that helps because, especially with rappers, they'll come in and they want their voice a lot of times to sound like just very like cut through and not super, super thick because you got all mm. that low-end and like just driving low-end and stuff. So if your voice has all that thickness in it... Um, it's really just not going to sound the greatest with a beat, you know? So, um, so especially for a rapper, I'd bust out an EQ, uh, roll off a bunch of that and, uh, compress it really nice and then just give it a little bit of reverb. And usually that does the trick. You know, I don't usually dive into multi-band compression and all that during the recording, but as soon as they're done with the recording and I get into mixing and stuff, then I'll, I'll definitely pull that out and, the client's always like, oh, okay, that's what it was missing because multi-band compression is is pretty huge mm. when it comes to mixing. So, Talk a little bit about, uh, so let's say you, you've got your courses or let's say you're working on courses and you want to, there's one part that the singer keeps struggling with, so you have to, you decide to punch in. First, explain what punching in is and then talk about some of your strategies. Okay, so I like, there's basically two ways to punch in a singer and uh that's to just basically hit play and then have quick punch on and then you just manually record when you when you feel that they're you know at the right spot or whatever i do that kind of with more with kind of fast paced rap sessions sometimes you get rappers that come in and they're just like they just want to get like two songs done per hour and like they're just super they just want to move at a really fast pace so I'll do like manual punching there. Cause I mean, if you're sitting there like, okay, let me find the line and then cool. That's the line we're going to record. Let me set the pre-roll that can kind of, kind of slow you down. But that's, that method is also the other method is to select the part you want to record and then set your pre-roll, set your post-roll and then hit record. Um, but I would say that's both ways are, are good, but I would go for, the manually punching if you're if you're on a time crunch or but if you're not on a time crunch just go with the you know make your selection find out what you're doing tell the singer to to sing along before it and then sing along after the punch so it's good to let the singer know that uh what they're recording because if they're just like singing then you know they don't know what to focus on so if they know the exact line that they're doing and they know that they need to sing before the line and after the line, that's how to get a good punch. Because if you just come in on it, um, right. it's not even just the pop that's the problem. Because, you know, some people will say like, oh, you can't just come in on it because it pops. Because you can get rid of that with the with a crossfade. But it's just about like the noticeable punch. You could just hear the voice was just in a different place. So if you're singing along, normally you can make the punch way smoother. It sounds like it wasn't even punched if it was done right. So... Right. Yeah. And there's, there's some strategies there too, for like, you know, punching in obviously in between words, not <laughs> during a word or something like that. So you can get that kind of natural. Oh, transition. most definitely. And, yeah. Uh huh. And the, the nice thing about, I mean, it used to be with like, with, with tape or something like that, where you would punch in, it was actually a destructive process where you could do it 
actually, I probably had the same little four track machine you had. And I remember you could even punch in on that. But you were at that point, you were destructively copying over the previous take where the nice thing with digital recording is that you're actually not destructively processing the previous takes. You're not writing over it. It's still there if you want it to like undo or whatever, which is which is nice flexibility as well. Definitely. Yeah, I like non-destructive quick punch uh, because that's the nice thing about Pro Tools is as long as you hit play and you're on quick punch, you can drag out um, anywhere. You could drag out the take. So Pro Tools is essentially recording when you just hit play and you don't realize Mm. it. See what I'm saying? Mm. So you could trim you can trim out the take. So that works good if like say say the singers singing their pre-roll part they're singing up to the part they're about to punch in and they're like man I I did something you know I did something that I really like in in the pre-roll section do you have it and you do technically if you're in quick punch you just you can just trim back that punched take I actually didn't know that so so it's it it um it starts recording at the pre-roll it starts recording mm-hmm. at the pre-roll if you're on quick punch so you have to be in quick punch mode so you can kind of choose where your crossfade is. Yep, you can drag it back. It's actually very helpful because if it didn't sound that great, like punched in wise, you could just trim it back, and maybe it sounds great, like back into the pre-roll a little bit. Mm. Oh, that's awesome! I actually didn't. Know oh that. yeah, yep. When people when people send you stuff, are they typically typically sending you something that's already comped, or are they are you getting multiple vocal tracks and they're telling you, "Hey, comp this to get the best take." Most people don't comp too well and, and, and don't know how to do it too well. So normally I'm just getting like solid takes, just, you know, a mm. couple, like a straight through the chorus, straight through. But but that's where like my, my editing skills just comes in. So I just have to like, you know, I've I've learned to be like very good with, you know, pitch and time correction and to where, you know, it could have been better on their part if they would have comped it, but it still passes without being comped, right. if, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we did the punching, we got our chorus, we got our verses. At what point do you start thinking about vocal harmonies and what's your strategy? Okay, so with vocal harmonies, I'm a thirds guy. I like a third interval almost all mm. the time. Mm-hmm. Most most music, if you listen to, especially pop and stuff, is going to be you know like a third higher, a third lower. Uh, third is like the prettiest, you know, it's like the one that's most pleasing. Uh, fourths, if you follow in a fourth the whole time, to me, it sounds a little bit Chinese. Like if you listen to, you know, if you listen to Chinese music, they use a lot of like fourths. So my method behind harmonies is to use a third most of the time. And then when the third doesn't work, sometimes you'll be on the third and then it'll go against the chord. It'll rub against the chord in, in a bad way, then you can simply just move that note that rubbed against the chord to the fourth. And mm. and this is done, this is done in tons of music. I uh, you know, when I was in Nashville, my wife and I were on a worship team. We we did a bunch of, you know, contemporary Christian music. This was in almost every single song. It was like third, 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 fourth. You know, it'd be like the end of a line, like where the fourth chord happens and sometimes the third wouldn't sound the greatest on it it would kind of make you cringe a little bit like it was right it's you're you're harmonizing that note in the third that's right but then the third 
itself is rubbing against that cord in a, in a bad mm. way. So then then you would go you would go to the fourth. So a blend of third and fourths is great. Um, the fifth is kind of the same deal as the fourth. If you do it the whole time, it just you know. I wouldn't call it Chinese, but it's just it's it's like a power chord on the guitar. You know, you you know that's what a fifth is. It's your root and fifth, and it's just like moving that power chord around. And um, it could be okay, but for vocal harmonies, I stick with the third. Uh, go to the fourth if you know if it doesn't make sense. Try the fifth out, but I would say fourth and fifth are just used occasionally when it makes sense. And that's what makes people really love harmonies too, is like when you're doing something and then you switch it up a little bit and then come back to just following it in the one interval. So uh, that can be a huge, a huge way. That's normally how I view harmonies. Um, and then uh, some people don't consider an octave a harmony, but it, it, it is pretty much like, cause it sounds, you know, when you, when you put like, a third higher and then an octave higher like it creates an awesome stack you know mm. that like that sounds huge you know so yeah um so octaves definitely don't sleep on octaves because because those can really you know what it's doing is just adding that higher frequency um of this of the melody so and i actually use you know a little off top topic but i use uh, uh plugins to do that too i use uh eventide or eventide i forget how you pronounce that but they have a quadrivokes and you can literally it's kind of like waves doubler in a way but you uh you have four different channels and you can like pitch up the vocal like an octave higher or an octave lower and you could just turn it turn it down and kind of mix it with it and then Mm. it's kind of like subliminally putting that i do it more for like pop music but it's kind of subliminally putting that like high octave in the in the vocal mix and it's it's nice. It's it's definitely juicy, you know. So yeah, I do something similar with um, little Alter Boy. I, I put um, yeah. I put an octave down, doubled version, and just blend it into taste. And it sounds if you solo it, it sounds really weird. But in the mix, it just gives like this this weight to the to the vocal, which works really well in like pop. Actually, in metal too, I like to do it in metal mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, and and that that octave thing, I know like. Especially in hip hop, I was listening to like Kendrick Lamar the other day, and he does that a bit where he's it's almost it's not just two octaves, it's also like two different energy levels where he's, he's mm-hmm. rapping the same line. One is kind of an octave lower, lower energy level, one is an octave higher, higher energy right. level. It sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really what fills out the, the spectrum with vocals, and that's why people like layers so much, is because you know it's just going to make it sound the opposite of plain. You know, you don't want plain sounding vocals and a lot of different genres like rely on it. Now they rely on like, you know, cool plugins to, to make your voice sound like that. Or, you know, like you said, just stacking it on your own and maybe putting some cool effects on those stacks. You know, that's a cool thing too, is to just use the real stacks, but then just, you know, put like some chorus on them or just something to like make them wet or, like waves doubler waves doubler is pretty cool to just put right on a vocal and kind of thicken up the the layers and stuff so i was actually gonna for for doubler do you use it on the main vocal bus or do you send to the double the doubler bus? you know i used to do sends for for doubler all the time but recently i've been putting it on and then just turning down the gain 
because mm. it keeps it keeps your normal vocal untouched and then when you te- when you start turning down the gain of the of the the voices in the in the doubler i actually get some nice nice uh sounds with that so that's I'm just what i'm doing that. i yeah i kind of yeah. change stuff up i don't stick to things i definitely like to try try new things and uh i've been trying that recently and i'm like i'm i like that more cuz it Doing the send thing with doubler, I always do sends with like reverbs normally, unless I'm going for like some huge washed out reverb, then I'll just put it right on the channel. But right. um, but for for doubler, yeah, I've been putting it right on it. That's cool. I'll have to try that because I, I I am doing the send method right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, just for the same reasons as not wanting to touch my main vocal and wanting to just have that as a bus. But yeah, um, I, I see what you're saying. You could just. The plugin gives you the ability to control the gain of those those extra voices, so that's cool. Okay, um, let's see. Oh yeah, so if, how do you communicate? Like, let's say you've come up with the harmonies, or you know what the main line is. How are you getting the vocalist to sing those harmonies? Are you doing anything to to help them along? Do you ever have vocalists that kind of struggle with getting the harmony parts? Oh yeah. Yeah, well, luckily I sing, so I, I a lot of times I'll I'll give them the note, I'll sing it to them through the talkback. Um, if they're still not getting it, sometimes I can put on the talkback to where they can still hear their headphones and me, and sometimes that helps, and I'll just kind of sing with them. And then if that's not working, uh, you can always program a, a, a cheap little piano or something with Expand or just like a software instrument and just kind of put in a little thing... Uh, the harmony notes, or you can even scan it in Melodyne, the main note, the main one, and then move it up, and then just have them hear that. So there's plenty of ways to do it. Um, I'm old school, so I, I prefer them to just be able to sing it without having to <laughs> mess around and like, okay, hold on, let me scan it with Melodyne and move it up and do this and do that. But you know, it's just part of the job. Sometimes, like, uh, you just have to do what you got to do. So. You know, but yeah, there's just a lot of different ways. But I'll always start with the talk back if they can get it like that, and I can sing it to them. But if you're a engineer that doesn't know how to sing, uh, then you can That's always. That's me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> then you could always, uh, you could always, you know, just do the the piano method where you program a piano with MIDI, or just do the Melodyne trick. So. Yeah, the Melodyne trick is cool. I hadn't thought of that. What I I do use the uh, you know like an expand synth with my little MIDI controller. I'll usually do what you're talking about doing in Melodyne, where I'll pick out the main melody and then just kind of drag all the MIDI notes up to where I want them. And actually, that's cool because you quickly hear that when that harmony doesn't work for that one note, and then you can just you know bump mm-hmm. it up or down. That's right. Yeah, uh, to get it to work. So yeah, that's. Some singers, I have to end up using Melodyne for the final. You know, I, I just use a copy of their voice, and I mean, sometimes it's just oh, for what the it harmonies. Has to be. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, it's not like you just don't want to be counterproductive. You know, I mean, if you're being counterproductive, is sitting there for two hours. You know, with the singer banging their head against the wall, like, why can't I get this harmony? It's just like you're wait. everybody's time's getting wasted. You know what I mean? It's like at the end of the day, let's finish this song, you know? And Melodyne, believe it or not, is pretty, I mean, that's why they have the, uh, that's why they have the, the formant on there. Because formant, when you, when you take it up, it, it changes the, the tone of their voice, makes it sound like more high pitch or like the, the tonal or the, what is that called? Timbre or whatever. Um, 
of the voice changes, but I believe that's why they put format on there. So that way you can, if you're moving the vocal up, then you can bring the, the format down a little bit to try to match it to, it, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not going to give you what, what a real voice is, but it does something to help. Absolutely. What, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. For, for, I could see that working for, for background vocals. Yeah. It just makes it sound like it was the same voice that sang higher pitched notes as opposed to like chipmunk voice effect where everything exactly. is everything is off yeah so yeah i've done that before i mean i'm you know guilty of that but like i i just you know when people who have a certain amount of budget and they're in the studio and and you know as a producer your time management too they're not i mean they, they might be worried and stuff but it, it's up to us to like make sure that like everything's going to plan at a certain amount of time yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's do a couple of rapid fire things, and then I uh, want to hear a little bit about where people can, um, you know, can find more information on you and your content. So, rapid fire. I want to ask you. I actually didn't write these down, so I'm going to go off the top of my head here. What's what's? How do you feel about uh, auto tune and its place in modern music today? Well, there's a lot of there's still a lot of music that that demands it. So you kind of have to go with what what demands it i mean it's normally just going to be hip-hop i don't think too many other genres are kind of taking it on i mean you know in pop music it might sound a little auto-tune but it's it's probably just really tight tuning i don't think they're putting auto-tune plugins on you know what i mean what when i think auto-tune yeah yeah, when i think auto-tune it's like when you're listening to hip-hop or rap and you hear when like when like the voice gets jerked to like a wrong note for a split second i hear i hear it in major mainstream stuff and it makes me cringe oh yeah it makes me cringe i'm like wait a minute you just put autotune on there it jerked you to to a wrong note because they didn't know the key to put it in or whatever or or if they did know the key it just it still jerked it to another note in the key that's wrong for the melody they were going to i mean it's subtle usually it happens for a split second but it's still uh you got to have knowledge to put Melodyne before it and correct into it because that's what I do. So if, if somebody if somebody wants that auto-tune sound, they're not going to get the auto-tune sound that jerks them to wrong notes. They can get the jerkiness because I'll allow that because that's what, you know, that's what auto-tune is. It's, it's the jerkiness of the, of the pitch. But I put Melodyne on before it and mm. then every, every time that there's like a, a – a bad section to where it like jerks it bad. I'll correct it in Melodyne and feed it into Auto Tune, and it, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, that works makes every sense. time. But yeah, people that don't know how to use it, yeah, I'm against that. If you don't know what you're doing with it, then I wouldn't use it. Gotcha. If you had, um, if I guess let's talk about Desert Island gear. If you if you could only have one microphone, you could only have one preamp. What what are you choosing for vocals? I would say I really liked. I don't own it, but I really liked the the manly reference uh, tube mic. And for a preamp, I'm just gonna go off ones I've used. I'm sure there's a million other ones, but I probably just again go with that Pacifica A designs. Mm. I just I just liked that. Um, there's probably way better, but I'm just gonna go with ones that I've used. So yeah, you've used that manly reference. Yeah, I have used it in Nashville. There was a studio that had it. Yeah, that's one where I mean that's like a four or five thousand dollar mic, but I've heard people use that for literally everything, and it sounds good. Yeah. So yeah. 
Yeah, Manly's a good company. It's just it's just you got to have the money, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Okay, what's what's one gear purchase you regret? A you a piece of gear you you don't need and wish you didn't buy. I'm kind of minimal as it is. Uh, but That's a tough one. <laughs> no regrets. All right. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, because I, cause okay. I, like, I basically use plugins. I've been using the same Atom A7s for like 10 years. Um, this SM7's like nine years old I'm using right now. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, you know, good gear will last. And, and, you know, of course, you know, you get tempted sometimes. You get tempted to like want to upgrade your stuff. And, you know, if anything, if I'm going to upgrade anything, it's going to be like computer stuff plugins i mean all the stuff that's ever changing but as far as uh hardware gear i'm good so nice wow i love it gear <laughs> yeah. equilibrium that's great cool well thanks man um tell us tell people where they can find you your content and the perfect vocal academy stuff so everything's on my website the way i have it set up there's a link there's a link to the youtube channel a link to instagram the blogs the product page um and there's a link to to get two free ebooks when you subscribe to the mailing list. And uh, I send out weekly emails. Uh, it's basically just recaps of the videos that I that I went over. It's uh, you know the the IG tips. I do three IG Instagram like tips per week. And uh, so if you miss it on social media, I send you an email. But it's all at perfectvocalsacademy.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to do this. I learned a lot, and hopefully our listeners did too. Anything else to add? No, I would just say like during these times, I just encourage people to you know learn recording. If you're if you're an artist or in a band, and you know times like these, it's like you can't just go to a studio. So this is the time to dive in. Cool. Couldn't agree more. All right. Thanks, John. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support see you next week.